0: You know, when we think about this, we've been studying through Amos for some time, and uh, many of you, maybe it is your first time, maybe you've heard some of the uh, sermons, and and if you've caught very many, you would say, man, Amos is dealing with judgment. The issue of judgment is clear. It's on display. And uh, he really is addressing the sin of of Israel, and he addresses it and says, Israel, you're falling under the judgment of of God, and so it's very dark. It's like a dark cloud coming and setting over your house, or over a church, or over a nation, and all of that is kind of clear here. You know, sometimes when a storm comes, you can see it. You stand uh, back in a way. You maybe I've you know a few times uh, when I would watch on if I'm on a beach or something. You're watching a storm come in. You can kind of step back into a place of shelter. And then the storm will come in and there'll be some lightning and rain and that kind of thing. But you see it coming. Uh, there are other times where uh, I've been down in a, maybe like canoeing on a river and there's uh, hills or mountains all around you're canoeing down through there and all of a sudden you thought it was kind of a good day and then a storm is just like upon you just in a moment. And the Bible speaks about that, Amos speaks about that, about how Uh, sometimes they catch us off guard. And uh, some of you, of course, we are living uh, in a time right now where it's very close to home. Uh, If you read anything in the news uh, recently, you know on Friday night, not only in our area, I mean, there was things that happened to people's homes. There's some damage to this uh, building if you go to the back, but also uh, in a much more tragic way. There were tornadoes that hit a number of states Uh, This weekend, they're not sure how many lost uh, lives there are. Uh, I saw something this morning, like a hundred people may have died. And they, it's just one of those things where you're like, it's shocking. And when this kind of terrible tragedy happens, you realize like uh, things can can change in a moment. And we have a tendency to not, I don't know, we think we're secure. And Israel was kind of like that. You think everything's secure and easy and everything's going well and everybody's thinking about Christmas and then this, this kind of thing takes place and you think, whoa, hold on just a second, what happened? Now, in this study with the life of, in the life of Israel, we understand that these people had broken covenant with God. They had committed to follow the Lord in a certain way, uh, in the way that he had designed as his special people. And then they fell under his judgment because that was what would happen. God said, if you uh, faith, walk in faith with me, you follow me. Uh, in faith and obey as i've commanded that you will be blessed if you don't you will be cursed and so tragedy is going to strike israel and they're kind of acting like it's not going to happen that's a crazy thing they think it's not going to happen they they are in a way they have this faulty kind of view of their security and so he is going to address that which he does all the way through amos and so if you were Uh, walking near to the Lord and listening to these things and saying, well, hold on just a second, but I thought God made some promises to us, and I I thought He was going to watch out for us. And what does that look like to experience this kind of trouble when you think, like, maybe the Lord's going to make it okay, or can He, like, judge this nation, yet at the same time make these promises of blessing? And so how does that work out? So the big question kind of this morning is, is will God be true to his promise to Abraham and David about the kingdom lasting forever? That's the big thing. And, and it's kind of in the same way with you. If you're looking at it, you say, look, I see God sometimes bringing trouble, and I see a future, uh, uh, some judgment coming or something falling on us, and yet you kind of ask the question of, like, well, is God going to be faithful to his promise? Sometimes even in our lives when we're facing trouble, we're thinking, like, has God forgotten me? I mean, most of you have asked that, you know. And you will ask that. And there's coming a time where you'll ask it again. And you need to have a foundation that you can stand on. So, you, we got to think about the kingdom. And we got to think about God's faithfulness to his promise of the kingdom. And that's kind of where we are today. It's a great uh, uh, passage to build hope at the end of all of the suffering that's going to come because of the sin of the people. It follows it up with hope, which is very common among the prophets. They will say God is going to judge you for your sin. They're going to follow it up and say God is going to make things right. He made some promises. He will bring to pass what he says he's going to do. So, what is the kingdom of God when we're thinking about this? It has been defined as God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And so, what is the promise that's kind of that's built upon? Uh, there's a couple of places in the, in the Bible that, that speak of this specifically and that are re- like really referred to often. So I'm going to read those, those things, and I want you to hear them. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land. That is the place that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, the people, and I will bless you, the blessing, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Speaking to David in 2 Samuel 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In both cases, these promises are unilateral. God says, I'm going to do this. When we think of the nation of Israel, it is bilateral. God says, I will do this. If you do this, they say, we will do this. God says, okay, then I'm going to do this. And if you fail to do it, then you're going you're to face judgment. But in the case of this, this in Abraham and with David, those are both unilateral promises, God says, I'm going to do this, period. So I think it's just important to say that. So God is true to his promise. If someone were to ask, like, is God going to get mad at us and turn against us? How do we stand? What are we standing on? We stand on the promise of God that he is faithful to do what he says that he is going to do. And the New Testament really is uh, case after case after case of answering that. One of the most central ones, the 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. What's he saying? All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. He is the hope. He is the source of our joy. He is who we trust in. He is the one who will ensure that all the promises of God, he He has ensured that. And they will come to pass. They have in part, in the full, they will come in the future. And so we have this great hope today. There's a hope that God will fulfill His promises to us. So we're looking at Amos 9, verses 11 through 15. And I just want you to see that first part there, when you're looking at it, 11 and 12 speak of the restoration of the Davidic line, the Messiah coming. And uh, restoration taking place. And 13 through 15 speak of the restoration of the land that follows. So both of those things are here. So it's it's important. If you think about Amos, you're thinking he promises this judgment and destruction and loss and everything being just completely and utterly uh, destroyed. And then he promises restoration. And you're kind of left there uh, kind of saying like, in light of the enormous destruction before us in Amos, he follows it with something uh, that really shocks you. You kind of look at that and you say, look at what God has done. He has taken from the ash heap and brought up something brand new. He's restored everything. So we can, we can hope in that, trust in that, follow the storyline of Scripture and see that, and that's what we will do And I I think it's just important to say, go back to the promise, go back to Abraham, go back to David. And the reason you do that is because that's what not only the prophets do, that's what the New Testament writers do also. So the Lord is obligated, this is just important to say, when God makes a promise where He says, I alone am the one who is the, the creator and the keeper of this promise, then if God is who He says that He is, which we believe He is, He has to do it, and He will do it, and we have confidence that He will do it, and so He is obligated to Himself to do what He says He's going to do. God makes a promise. He will stand by His promise. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man That he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Unlike people who are really ultimately. Like you think about how many people who have broken promises. Unlike people who have broken promises. The Lord is a promise keeper in every sense of the word. When he says he will do it. He will bring it to pass. So. In this text, God's wrath will come to an end, and once again, the people of God will experience blessing. So let's look at Amos uh, chapter 9, verse 11. And just again, you're just trying to see it. God keeps his promises, God is faithful to really concerning Israel's throne. That might be what you say here in verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. So it it really, and really in a far superior way than the days of old. If you go back and look at it, you think, oh my goodness, there's times where you see in Israel's history, everything crumbles, and yet it's brought up and raised up, and he does that. That's what he's going to do. He's going to raise up the ruins and rebuild it. He's going to restore. What's he, do? What's he restoring here? He is restoring the Davidic line, the throne of David. That's kind of the big thing for us, is when we're thinking about God's rule and blessing, we say we've got to have a king. We're longing for a king. Really, all human government, everywhere that you go, any time in history, you look at it and you say, it's frail. It's not built on a foundation that will stand forever. None of us here are thinking, okay, I, that, that human government there, that is the answer for the ages. It will uphold all things and make everything right. Why do we say that? Because we look at human government and say, humans run human governments, Right? And so we're always just going to say, "Uh." So I think it's important to say this. God is going to restore order. He is going to make all things new. He is going to take something that is very, if you'll notice here, I will raise up the booth. Something that seems very temporary. Something that seems like a booth is like a tent. It's something that is easily moved. It's something that doesn't stand... The storms, you know, the, the, the struggles, the weight—it's it, it, that kind of thing. I'm gonna, and again, Israel right now thinks they're really strong. The kingdom's actually divided. It is less strong than it would have been in the time of Solomon. But they have this in their mind. But ultimately, here he's saying, "Look, this little tent of a people, this little tent of a rule. I'm going to raise up this booth, this small thing." That's going on. I'm going to raise it up. Because God had made a promise to David. He said. I will establish your kingdom. He shall build a house. Uh, for, and, and it's going to last forever. This kingdom. This throne will be forever. So just as with Abraham. God promised to make David's name great. And to bless him. I think it's just important to say. When we're trying to think about. Uh, life in, in, in a fallen world when we're thinking about uh, the trouble that comes with sin we're thinking about all of the things the judgment that fell on Amos and you think I, I should be there I mean I could understand where God could easily look at my life and look at Amos and the standard there and say you, do you feel the weight of that and when I do that at the same time I have to say then where's the hope and that's what Amos is doing he's saying there is hope there is hope in the promise, and there's hope for this throne. God is going to raise it up. This little weakened state will be reestablished in a way that's very powerful. Now, in Matthew 1:1, this is, what, this is what Matthew starts with, the very first part of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. What's he saying? He picks up the promise, sets it before you, and says, "This is the Messiah." This is the hope that you're looking for. This is the promise that I made to, to, to them. This is the fulfillment of all of those things. So God is not only faithful to His promise concerning the throne, but He's also faithful to His promise concerning the purpose of Israel. Look at verse 12. That they may possess the remnant of Edom. This is kind of showing the borders, that, that how they'll stretch out. And all the nations who are called by, by, my, by my name declares the Lord. Who does this. So what was he saying? Israel had a unique role. In the history of the world. Israel was called out by God. As a separate and distinct people. God saves them. He rescues them. He brings them in. And he restores them. to And makes them a great a nation ultimately but before he does all of that after he has rescued them on the eagle's wings exodus 19 says then the lord says if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant covenant you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words that you shall speak to the people israel so here's the thing they were set apart as holy they were to live holy lives. And they had the purpose, really, of not only blessing one another, which they did not do in Amos. They just did not. They had the responsibility of treating one another rightly and then setting a pattern for the whole world to see what God was like. They were displaying what God was like. They had this ministry, priestly ministry, to speak in a way uh, both in their actions and, of course, with their words, which they will impart, but, but, in the, but they're to speak to the nations. The nations were to look at the people and say, this, their God must be true, and everyone else is a liar. That's kind of the picture you would see. And, and this is what he says, I mean, kind of the picture here of holiness, is the people were be, to be a people of integrity, compassion, justice, righteousness, in both private and public life. Their lives are to be lived in that way. And so I think it's just important to say that this nation was blessed to be a blessing. And yet you look at them, you're like, golly, they don't live up to that. I mean, and some of you in this room, if you're honestly like you think you are to be, you are blessed to be a blessing. God blessed you with his gospel with the good news to be a blessing you don't see it that way for whatever reason you're thinking all about building yourself up making much of yourself making sure people see you whatever and he's like no israel you were blessed to be a blessing everything that you have everything you were given was so that you would make my name great so god's intention with israel will be fulfilled now i think you see this in the new testament the Council of Jerusalem, they come together in Acts 15, and there's this, this kind of picture where they're bringing all this up from Amos 9, 11 through 12. The, what they kind of understand is with the coming of the Lord Jesus, the Son of David, and the outpouring of the Spirit to the Gentiles, we see the nations really being blessed. And you what, you ha- what happens in Acts is people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are being blessed. The church is kind of... is is a voice proclaiming the message of God's King who's come to save them, to restore everything. And then they are going out with that message seeking to live in a way that would bring honor and glory to His name. So that not just Israel, that, that was kind of the struggle early on. That's why Jesus said, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what they were to do. Because when messiah comes when the kingdom is reestablished and reconstituted and god begins to bless this people to make them a blessing he begins to do this in such a way where it is not just israel the people of israel but it's all of the nations all who hear his voice all who are called by my name those who are called by my name, both Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation coming under his reign and rule as a people who are separate, who are distinct, who have been rescued by God, and who are used of God to bless uh, the people of God throughout the whole world. And that's why this great commission, really, that Israel had in part, we have in a fuller measure, is is so important for us. Now listen to this, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, speaking to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so what what do you do with that this morning you say God was faithful to his promise God was faithful to his promise to raise up a messiah one who would restore everything that was lost the people of God are judged because of their wicked rebellion, and God raised up one who it was the true Israel of that lineage, the son of David, the son of Abraham, who perfectly lived out what Israel did not. This is why God could say, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Unlike Israel who was the unfaithful son, Jesus is the faithful son. And because of Jesus, then we who are united to Him can be spoken of as faithful ones. We stand in Him. We are united to Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we are now uh, considered faithful in Him. And as a result of that, this reconstituted Uh, kingship you could say this reconstituted monarchy where Jesus is the ruling monarch he also has called us as his people to be a kingdom of priests to go out into the world to proclaim the message of what he has done to announce the kingdom to speak of others of the hope that we have within us to say that we were once in darkness and yet, now we are a part of the people of God. We've experienced the marvelous light of the glorious gospel. Once we were not a people, now we are God's people. We can say that. This is, there's a lot of hope here that God is faithful to His promise. He has raised up the faithful King. And He has raised up a people that will walk with the King. That know the King. And people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The nations will hear and believe. And if you're here today and you're not a Jewish person, you're evidence that God had a purpose to raise up a people for Himself. And in the midst of all this destruction, He has raised up a people. And He is doing it even today. He is calling people out. And He is working in a most, the most powerful way. Now, God will not only be faithful to the things that we said to the to, to the monarchy—he's going to be faithful to the intended purpose—to be a, for us to be a light to the nations. But he will be faithful to his promise concerning Israel's blessing. Now, this is kind of this is where it gets interesting, and we could talk about a lot of things here. But I just I think you need to think in terms, of, and and this is how when I think about it, it helps me. I, we we say this sometimes. Uh, it's we speak of the kingdom kind of part one, part two, or we may say something like the kingdom was inaugurated in Jesus, the coming Messiah, and the consummation of the kingdom is yet to come. What, What do we mean by that? What we mean is, is Jesus came and He defeated all of our enemies. He has set up His kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God has come. Like that's a reality. We are preaching a message of The king came. The king laid down his life. The king defeated death and disorder and disease and all those things. Victory was won. And yet, the fullness of that is to come. We're looking forward to the return of the king. We say in the first coming, Jesus came as a suffering servant to save us from our sins and to transform us in our hearts. But we are awaiting the second coming when He restores the place that we will dwell with Him. The new heavens and the new earth and everything being right and no longer creation fighting against us, but actually moving forward with us. We're waiting for renewal. We're waiting for the restoration of all things. We're waiting for our faith to become sight. In nine, thirteen, and 14... In 15, you're going to kind of see those things come out. But you see this idea of blessing. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Amos not only saw God's judgment, but he saw the massive display of God's blessing on his people in restoration the picture here is the plowman shall be uh, 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 the plowman shall overtake the reaper here's the idea I think it's important to understand that the idea is this when people go out to harvest they're supposed to go and harvest what it what grew that year and then they'll have a little break and then you go and prep the soil And start planting for the following year. The harvest is so plentiful in this picture that as the the the, as they're harvesting, they're working vigorously, but as they do, they look behind them and they say, Hey, the person planting has is, is coming, he's gonna catch up with us. He already has, he's right on our heels. What does that mean? There was so much bounty, they could not harvest it all. They, they just, it was, it's a shocking picture here. What is meant? I think as it's just kind of, you're thinking about this. It's, there will be such abundance that the harvester will be unable to gather all that is produced from the land before it is time to start prepping the soil to plant. So just give a perspective. The reaping of barley began in April and the reaping of wheat in May, it was not until October or November that they would begin prepping the soil for the coming year. Amos says there will be no time. In the same way, the treading of grapes, normally during August and September, will not be finished with their work. Those doing that will not be finished with their work before. Those who plant the the following year in November and December Are they ready to do what they need to do? One other thing: Why would he speak of the mountains and the hills? If you've studied it, if you thought of or not studied or been to a vineyard, I don't know. I got to go to a vineyard a couple of years ago and and visit a friend of mine from high school. And when we went there, their their stuff is up in the, the hills of the russian river valley they're not down in the valley they have very specific uh grapes that grow where where they they grow them and it's actually not large quantity uh, uh, it's not a large quantity of grapes down in the valley you can grow bunches of grapes up on the hillside less grapes the soil's not as good the plant is strained and all that kind of stuff but but there, there's, there are things about that that make it really special, and people really like stuff from the valley. But listen, in this passage, what he's saying is, the place where grapes are not as plentiful, what's it going to be like? It will drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. What's he saying? He's saying, up there in those hills where you just get a little bit of grapes, like from that, there's just a little wine coming out of there, it's going to be flowing down those mountains. That's the kind of blessing on display here. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat its fruit. Just think about that for a moment. There are, here. here, this is one of the things, you see it in the period of the judges, you see it uh, in this period that will come that they don't know that's coming or don't believe that's coming. There there were times, boy, I tell you, judges is one of those where you really see it, where the people go out and they'll plant and work the ground and then the enemy, enemy will come in and harvest and take everything that they've worked for all year. And they'll take it. In for themselves, I think it's important just to say. I mean, even and some of you may feel like that today. You've you've done some where you work, 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 work on something, and then someone else comes in and takes it all for themselves. It's this picture here. You're like that doesn't seem right. Well, there's coming a day where it where those who are a part of the people of God will know that they are secure. He, he, that he, will, he will allow them to eat the fruit that they've grown. He will allow them to experience uh, 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 the kind of security that comes with being the people of God. That, that's what's coming. That's what they're looking forward to. It, there, earlier in the message of Amos, he says, you will not be able to live in the houses that you built or enjoy the fruit that you planted. But now he's saying, no, there's coming a day where you will enjoy it, but you will be so overwhelmed that you won't even be able to keep up with the blessing. And so I think it's important when we look at these things, we say, listen, God is going to bring Messiah. God is going to send Messiah. And the the, the promises that He made to bless these people, He will do it. He will do it. And we look today where we are, and we're looking back and saying, Jesus did come. He did die. He was crucified, buried, rose again, victorious over the grave. He defeated all our enemies. His kingdom has come, and yet it will come. And the fullness of that, the consummation of that, the fullness of it is yet to be and so we still see sorrow and pain and darkness and famine and sword and all these things but it will not always be that way verse 15 really speaks of God being faithful concerning his, their inheritance I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them one of the most glorious things for me when I think about it. And I think about the Christian life. And I think about the return to the garden. And I think about like Getting back to the place, back to God, back to where I know Him intimately, back to relationships being restored, back to the place where I don't have to fear that something's going to come and overtake me in a sense that I can't fight it and I can't provide for that, my family, do the things I need to do, all those things. When I think about all those things, when I consider them, and I I think like there's this aspect of it where I just think, Uh, There is a day that you long for where things uh, are such that it will never be uprooted. That I will never be overtaken. That I'll never have to worry about something coming to destroy all that I built. The land for them was a gift. And it was a gift, a tangible way to say, God is your God and you are His people. The land, in short, meant security, inclusion, blessing, corporate sharing, and practical responsibility. It was the idea of like things were whole. When you're in the land, in that land, flowing with milk and honey, you can be the most secure person in the whole world. So as a Christian, when I stand here today, I say the King has come. The King has come. What Amos said, the promise he made of the King coming the, 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 the monarchly established, those things, Jesus has come. And yet, when I look at it and I say, wait, hold on just a second, there's still things going wrong, there's still famine, there's still trouble, there's still darkness, there's still weakness, there's still people falling apart, there's still things falling on people, there are still storms, there's all this stuff. And I look at that and say, yeah, but it's not completely right yet. And so, I think about the first coming and the promise fulfilled in that. And I look forward to the second because I'm looking forward in joy and in hope that what Jesus did in His first coming will be followed by a second coming and all things will be restored and made right. If you are here today, and you are outside of Christ, you stand in judgment. You stand without hope. The only hope you would have would be to try to stand in the face of all types of trouble on your own. The greatest of which would be the wrath of God falling on you. If you are here today outside of Christ, you have no hope of a future If you are in Him, that is, you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have turned from your sins, you are following Him, you are obeying His commands, you are living in light with a a life that you're saying, I believe Him, which is something He brings about in your heart. The Spirit's driving you. When you look at your life and say, I love the Lord Jesus, I want Him, I follow Him. If this is you today... What you can say is, I have great hope. I have hope in the present, and I have hope in the future. And so I just hope today that Amos kind of concludes for you, and you say, man, judgment was frightening. The judgment in Amos is shocking, and yet there's a hope of a future for those who, in humble faith, come to the Lord, who trust Him, who follow Him, who follow Him in in all the days of their life, there's such wonderful and marvelous hope that he is going to not only has not only restored the king, he is restoring the whole kingdom, and we can rejoice in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great promise, promise given to Abraham, the promise given to David, the promise that we have seen. Fulfilled in part in in the waiting that we have in the future. We just thank you for that. That we can look forward to a day when all things will be restored and made right. That we can celebrate the first coming. But also celebrate the second. I pray if there's anyone here today lost and dead in their sins. That you would call them out of darkness, into the light. I pray that your spirit would awaken in them the reality of their condition and that they would turn in humble faith and trust. They would follow you in baptism and then walk on forward with your people for all the days of their life. In Christ's name, amen.